You know, if you've ever watched a series, you know how important the final episode is. You eagerly anticipate its release. You make sure that there are no distractions when you're watching that final episode. You pay attention to every single detail. Well, why do you do that? I mean, you're invested. And in many ways, you're a part of that final episode. In 1 Peter chapter 4, we discover the strange news that the final episode of God's story of redemption is actually happening. It's happening right now, and we're a part of it. But how are we supposed to live in the midst of that final episode? How are we supposed to live with what Peter calls the end of all things in view? And that's exactly what Peter goes on to answer in 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. He says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Let's say a word of prayer. Father, would you drive these truths deep into our hearts today? Would you help us to pay attention and, uh, Lord, with everything in us, to keep us from distractions? Lord, I know how difficult it can be uh, to live stream, to, to view this at home or wherever, uh, Lord, my friends are. But God, help us to, for the next few minutes, give ourselves fully to this passage and to hear from you, God, to believe that you, by your Spirit, are speaking through your word, for our good. Strengthen your church. Bring glory to your name, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Peter lays out uh, four things here. Number one, he tells the church to pray or stay wide awake in prayer. Number two, love. Love each other as if your life depended on it. Number three, offer hospitality. Open your life to one another. And number four, serve. Use what you've been given for others. So, so four words, really. Pray, love, hospitality, serve. First thing, pray. Stay wide awake in prayer. He says again in chapter 4, verse 7, the end of all things is near, therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may, what? So that you may pray. So Peter's writing to this dispersed group of churches in what is now modern-day Turkey, and these churches were experiencing severe suffering for their faith, everything from disdain from those within their culture to opposition from governmental authorities, and Peter understood the times before them. He knew that they were experiencing uh, the final episode of God's unfolding drama of redemption. That's what they were experiencing. He knew that the death and the resurrection of Jesus and Jesus' ascension into heaven and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit to establish the church, that all of this was, was part of what really we could call the great last act or the final episode. He calls it the end. He says the end of all things is near. It's at hand. The same language that Jesus used when he said the kingdom of God is near or at hand. It's present. It's here, it's among you. 
And Peter's saying, the end is, is near. Well, the, what is this? The end. It's the goal of all things. It's, the word is to bring to completion. And so with these events in mind, what Jesus did, his death, his resurrection, the pouring out of the Spirit, with all of these, all these events are, are pointing to the goal of all things, the end. He says the end is near. It's at hand. It was and it still is at hand. This was true for Peter and the persecuted church of his day, and it is true for us right now in the midst of this pandemic. How should the church, how should followers of Jesus, regardless of the year they live in, how, how should we live in light of the end of all things? In, in light of this final episode, this last great chapter of God's story of redemption. It's a long chapter. And we've been on this chapter since uh, the day of Peter. How do we live, though? You know what Peter doesn't say? He doesn't say, pack up your bags, head for the hills. Come on, just huddle up, hide out. You know, stockpile on toilet paper and, uh, and black beans and rice. He doesn't say that. What does he say? His instruction is incredibly simple. Yeah, I think it's beautiful. It's the very thing that we need to hear today. And not because I think COVID-19 is the mark of the end times, but because we are in the final episode. We're in that long final chapter of God's story of redemption. We're in it. It's unfolding before our eyes. And we're not spectators. We're participants. And he says to be clear-minded and self-controlled. Why? So that you can pray. The very first instruction Peter gives in light of the end of all things, in light of this final episode that we're walking in and living in, he says, pray. Have a clear mind and be self-controlled so that you can pray. Listen, if there was ever a verse that I needed to put on repeat, it's this one. I need this verse just looped in my mind and in my heart. I need it put on repeat because I can feel scattered in my thoughts and I need to be clear-minded and I need to settle down. I need to practice some self-control so that I can pray. This is what I need. It's hard to settle down. It's hard to think clearly during this time. And, you know, Peter is actually speaking from experience when he brings this instruction. If you remember the night of Jesus' betrayal, the darkest night of Jesus' earthly ministry, where he was feeling the agony and the weight of what he was going to have to do within the next 24 hours, literally becoming sin for us, receiving the wrath, the punishment from God the Father for us as our substitute. As he was contemplating this, as he was wrestling through this, uh, he brought his disciples uh, to a garden that they would go to frequently, I'm sure, for times of prayer. And he says, listen, we, we need to pray. And he brings his disciples with him. Let's check it out in Mark chapter 14. Go with me to Mark chapter 14. And in verse 32, we read this account. They went to the place called Gethsemane, and it was the place, uh, the garden uh, that they would frequent. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply, deeply distressed and troubled. My soul, Jesus says, is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Let's pause there for one moment. Jesus Fully man, fully God, acquainted with grief, a man of sorrows. He knows exactly how you feel in the midst of depression, 
anxiety, in the midst of the overwhelming pressures of life. In this moment, we see Jesus' humanity the clearest. The clearest. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther up, he fell to the ground and he prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. A prayer of honesty, a prayer of faith. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, or Peter, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. I have to imagine that this this scene was in Peter's mind as he's writing these words. I mean, essentially, Peter is writing to the church and he's saying, watch and pray. Be alert, be of sober mind. Have a clear mind. Be self-controlled so that you can pray. Peter knew the experience of being asked to pray and having those heavy eyes set in. You ever been there? As you try to take time to pray and seek the Lord, and all of a sudden, that's when you get the sleepiest. We need to stir ourselves. We need to be alert, be wide awake. You know, I, I admit during this, this time of staying at home and, and quarantine, I admit that I've formed some bad patterns. That morning routine is has been dominated by checking my phone, looking at those three apps that I have that are news apps on my phone just real quick, just because I think it's the responsible thing to do, or at least that's what I tell myself. But the truth of the matter is, that doesn't have to be the very first thing I do every morning. And, and I've been trying to adjust that. I really have, even since thinking through this, um, this talk. But I, I want to set new patterns of behavior because what that reveals is that I'm looking to other sources for strength, and for joy, or I'm looking for other sources for answers, and I need to look to God first. Clear-headed, self-control, it requires intentionality on our part. We don't fall into this. It doesn't just happen. I have to, you have to slow down and decide to say no to the things uh, internally and externally uh, that, that are crowding our mind and getting in the way so that we can say yes to prayer. Titus reminds us that it's the grace of God, God's favor and kindness expressed primarily in Jesus. It's the grace of God that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And it teaches us to say yes or to have a self-controlled, upright, and godly life as we wait for the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus. So in this waiting period, in this waiting room existence, in this final episode, we need to say no to a whole bunch of, of things so that we can say yes and live a self-controlled and upright life right now as we wait for the appearing of our God and Savior. There's intentionality required on our parts. 
Prayer is one of those disciplines, though, we all know we should practice, but we feel guilty about. You know, I've sat down with a lot of Christians and talked to them about their faith, and there are two disciplines that usually people feel very guilty about, that they, they want to walk in more. One of them's prayer, and the other's evangelism. They know they should share their faith, but they're like, man, I, don't, I haven't done that in a long time, or I don't know how. And prayer is one of those uh, disciplines as well. We all know that it should be part of our, our, our daily lives. But we're just like, where do I start? How do I do this? How do I carve time for it? It's kind of like, you know, uh, same category at times as vegetables. We know we should eat them. We know it's good for us. Uh, but the frozen pizza is just so convenient. Peter's asking the church in the midst of upheaval and unrest and uncertainty. He's writing to a suffering church, a persecuted church, opposed for taking a stand with regards to holiness and purity in the midst of a culture that was just, just drenched in sexual impurity and, and all kinds of things. And, and, and so that culture just didn't get why the church was, was separating themselves from that activity. But also the church was being uh, persecuted by governmental authorities and under a strong arm of, of um, of persecution. And so they were in the midst of all kinds of fear and unrest and uncertainty. And he's writing to them and he's saying, basically in the midst of all this fear and stress, I want you to be clear-minded so that you can pray. Now, stress is weighty. It's exhausting. And in the midst of this pandemic, uh, that's one thing Valerie and I have been talking about, though it it feels like we should be more relaxed. We're not going out as much, really at all. (laughs) We're not doing... As, as much as we normally would, uh, but we're more exhausted than ever, it seems. Why? Because we're stressed. We, we're, we're hearing reports. We're, we're trying to work out this new norm, and that stress is weighty. And then there's fear, and that feels heavy. So in the midst of the stress that's weighty, in the midst of the fear that's heavy, we're called and we're invited to go to God in prayer and, and to go to him with, with, with hearts where we say, here, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing to you all my fear. I'm bringing to you all my stress. Uh, help me to have this clear mind. Help me to practice self-control so that I can call on you. And it's kind of like this computer screen. You ever open or see your friend's computer screen? Maybe your computer screen looks like this, where it's just littered with icons and, and documents and photos, um, and you don't stack them neatly. If you look at my computer, uh, it's very neat. I'm a very neat person. I'm not better than you because of that. I'm just saying. So when you open someone's screen and you see it and it's just scattered, that's how my mind can feel sometimes. Just documents and images and and, and just ideas and thoughts and it's just swirling around. It can feel like a very cluttered, like my mother-in-law's computer screen. But this this call to prayer and self-control, is this just about conjuring up enough willpower? Kind of like, all right, let's get back to push-ups. Just got to, no, no, it's not about that. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning um, in verse 5. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to the elders. Listen to this. All of you, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Listen, cast all your anxiety on him. Not some, cast it all on him. He can handle it, church. Cast all your anxiety on him. But why would you do that? Why would you decide to cast all your anxiety on him? Because of the next part of this verse. Because he cares for you. Do you believe it? 
So moving forward in prayer begins with cultivating a want and a desire to pray for sure, but it also begins to cultivate an understanding that he loves you and he cares for you. And he's invited you in to fellowship with himself. And he's invited you in to participate on the mission that he's been on long before you existed. Prayer is God's invitation to fellowship and participation with him on mission. When we start to see it that way, there's a joy that rises up. We're just like, all right, let's do this. Let's do this. And so what do I do personally to carve out time to practice prayer? There are a lot of things that I do. I want to just share with you a few. I go on walks. I walk and I pray because I am easily distracted when I'm just sitting at home. I'm very easily distracted. Even if everyone's in bed, I start looking at like a, a paint chip on the wall and I start thinking about having to repair it or I start wanting to organize something. Yeah, it's, just, it's crazy. You don't want to go in here. Trust me. But, so I take it outside and I go for a walk and I'm just talking to the Lord and I'm praying. I put on earbuds. I'll listen to songs uh, that, that help, help focus my attention on the Lord. Digital prayer gatherings have been a blessing to me. So um, intentional times where we can gather together. Please let me invite you to come to our digital prayer gatherings, even if just but for five minutes, 10 minutes, the whole hour, be, uh, let it be a disciplined time where you're gonna set that time, you're gonna carve it out of your schedule and you're gonna pray with God's people. I also make lists, I make notes of all kinds, I set reminders. These are just things that I do to try to be clear-minded and self-controlled so that I can pray. Number two, Peter calls us to love. Love each other as if your life depended on it. What's he say? In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Above all. This is primary in Peter's mind. This is it. He quotes Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12, but Jesus described love uh, for one another as the defining mark, the defining mark of, of one who would follow him, of a disciple. He says in John 13, verse 34 and 35, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is how others will know you're a follower of Jesus, by your love for one another. But the type of love that Jesus is talking about is the type of love he demonstrated for us, a sacrificial love, a radical, generous love, that gives and doesn't expect anything back. We learn how to love by the love we've been shown. 1 John chapter 4 reminds us this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Oh, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. John just, he sums it up for us. He's saying, listen, God so loved us. It's like a so much love. And he showed us that love by sending his son. He gave something up so that we would benefit and have life and be reconciled to himself. He gave up his son. That father-son relationship for all eternity. God is one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God the Son entering our broken world, taking on the stuff we're made of. God sent his son so that we could be set free from the enslavement of sin and where that would lead us. He says, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. He said, it just makes sense. 
Don't, don't stop looking at the love God has shown you. Just keep looking at that and let it inform how you treat others. Jesus is the greatest demonstration of God's extravagant love. And Peter says, love each other deeply, earnestly, without ceasing, fervently, ongoing. This is, speaks of authentic, sincere love. You know when someone's just, just talking smack and then when someone's really being sincere. I mean, you, you, just, you just know. I've, I've always wrestled with uh, people who say they love me when they hardly even know me. You know, hey, I love you, bro. What? What do I say back? I love you too? <laughs> Maybe I do. I want to. I want to grow in my love. For you. But you understand the sincerity of that love is tested over time, and it grows. It's, it love is, is like uh, kind of like a muscle that gets stretched, and the longer you use it, the more you use it, it's going to get stronger and stronger. Peter is saying, love each other deeply. Not a surface love, a deep love. So where have you placed boundaries or limits on love? This far and no more. This is what I'm comfortable with, love. Where are you tempted to judge others and write them off? To walk in unforgiveness and animosity or bitterness as if it's your right. Oh, they hurt me. I'm done with them. Really? Do you have the right to be done with them? As, As one who claims to follow Jesus, do you have a right to write anyone off? Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't keep a safe distance from those who hurt you. Absolutely. To those who abuse you. But unforgiveness is a prison cell that that we lock ourselves in. Holding something over someone or against someone is not our right. Love covers. It doesn't ignore. Love forgives. It doesn't hold over. It requires sacrifice on our part. So think about what Jesus did on the cross. Think about this love displayed for us and what what it means for us. This great big offense that stood in the way between us and God was overcome. So think of whatever offense stands in the way between you and a brother or sister in Christ or you and anyone else. God can overcome it. What mountain of offense seems just unable to overcome? Well, in your own strength, it is. But when we decide to love one another the way we've been loved, whatever offenses stand in our way will be overcome. Whatever mountain it appears to be will become just this anthill. Nothing. Not because it didn't hurt. Not because it wasn't an important uh, thing that was said or something that really, really affected you in a major way, but because of the surpassing uh, love of God in Christ and the perspective that it brings. Love, not warm, fuzzy feelings, though that will come as well, (laughs) but sacrificial affection and giving of oneself to others. That is the defining mark of a Christian. And Peter says, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Where love is not guiding us, we have to stop and ask why. Where have we justified behavior towards others inconsistent with love? The end is near, Peter says. The end is at hand. Do do you see it? We're in the final chapter, that last episode. The end is near. The end of all things is near. So what should you do? Love each other deeply. Have you seen what love can do? Have you seen the power of God's love? Have you experienced it yourself? Peter sure did. And he's calling the church to walk in that love. Number three, hospitality. With the end in view, 
with the end of all things in view, we're called to pray, we're called to love, and we're called to, what? Offer hospitality? Yes, open your life to one another. Verse 9. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. You know, people have asked me, when local church St. Pete started about 14 months ago, we, people were asking me leading up to the launch of the church um, what our strategy would be to reach our, our surrounding area, to reach our city. What's, our, what's your strategy, Darren? What are you guys going to do? And in their minds, maybe they were thinking big events or some sort of mail out or, I don't know, door-to-door campaign. I said, our strategy is hospitality. Our strategy is opening up our lives and sharing our table with others. Our strategy is showing interest in the person sitting across the table from us. Our strategy is listening to their story and not being at all threatened by their belief system and not thinking that it changes what is true of Jesus. Our, story, our, our strategy is to enter their lives and let them enter ours, to come alongside others, to show hospitality, to learn how to listen, to learn how to just open our lives Sharing a meal with someone and the power behind that, that's our strategy. Peter is concerned that hospitality be expressed within the church. So I just express reaching people outside of the church. We need to also be sure that we're showing hospitality within the church, within the church community. That was Peter's concern. He wanted them to show hospitality to one another. And so we need to remember that God welcomed us in. He invited us to his table. He shared his life with us. Jesus himself said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to serve. And Peter knew that with this call to offer hospitality, there'd be the temptation to grumbling. Because whenever we open our lives, whenever we share our, our table, we're, we're showing people kind of who we are up close. And that can be uncomfortable we become vulnerable. We welcome them into our, our, our space. They see our stuff. <laughs> they see what we're about. And Peter says, do this without grumbling. Things really haven't changed. People were tempted to grumble back then. They're, we're tempted to grumble now. Do this without grumbling. No complaining. So how are we going to practice this hospitality in the midst of this pandemic? How are we going to offer hospitality one to another and still honor CDC guidelines? Stay six feet apart. How are we going to do that? I've been thinking a lot about this as a church community because I know that there are a lot of singles in our midst and others who don't have a lot of family or friends, and I, I hope that you're still connecting through digital house groups, but I have seen just the, the power of simply calling somebody. Um, that's an extension of hospitality, of texting friends, of, of texting those that you've just met in church to see, how are you guys connecting? How, how are you guys doing? How can I pray for you? How are you processing this craziness right now? How's your family? Do you have anyone you're talking to? Just reaching out. And if we all just started thinking about people in our lives that we've, we've, we've uh, been in touch with here uh, over the last 14 months, people that we've met, even those that we just met two, three weeks before we had to stop meeting, and we started reaching out, that there'd be this web of hospitality that's expressed in countless ways, offering hospitality one to another, delivering groceries, Zoom calls, phone calls, checking in, all of these things and more. Let's get creative. Let's be intentional 
but let's not let this pandemic keep us from offering hospitality. If Peter could tell a suffering church and a persecuted church to offer hospitality, we can hear it in the midst of this as well and walk in it. It's going to require some creativity on our part, but I know it's possible. Maybe you've experienced a near-death accident in the past, or maybe you've been through a surgery that was like intense. And it caused you to evaluate what was important in life. I mean, it shook you to the core. And maybe it shook you out of apathy or indifference, maybe procrastination, dragging your feet about getting involved in the things of the Lord or in the mission he's called you to. I know we've all had experiences that have um, pushed us and caused us to evaluate things in life. All of us are experiencing something right now through this COVID-19 virus. And I believe it's being used that way to kind of push us all to pause and ask, man, what's most important in life? And when we answer that question, when we slow down and we ask, what's most important in life? The answer always involves people. I can't think of a time when I've answered that question and it's involved stuff or possessions. It's always involved people. So hospitality reminds us of what's most important, people. People, opening our lives and sharing our table. It feels so ordinary. It doesn't feel extraordinary. It feels so mundane, unimpressive, not very exciting. Won't make the headlines. But the Lord is helping us to see the value of the things he values. His strategy, his plan for the church has been to walk in hospitality. Are you ready? I know you're already doing it in countless ways. Man, you as a church, local church, you've been marked by this, but we can't let up. So he's saying pray, love, Offer hospitality and finally serve. Look what he says in verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift has been received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. We'll pause there. Here, Peter doesn't just give this master list of spiritual gifts. I mean, he doesn't really even offer a lot of details. You can find a, more of a detailed list in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. You can even find somewhat of a list in Romans 12 and, and other places in Scripture. But oh, these are spiritual gifts that Peter is, is, is commenting on. They come from the Spirit of God, God the Spirit. He's the gift giver. And he, and he says this, he says, listen, each of you should use whatever gift you've received. So God is at work in and through you, and he has given each of us gifts, gifts from his spirit, and he's empowering us to walk out those gifts, that call, so that others would benefit. He's loving others through the gifts he's given you. He wants you to use the gifts he's given you. Hear that. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. I love that. A steward or an administrator of God's grace. We're stewarding. We're being responsible with God's grace when we faithfully walk in the gift and the call that he's given us. We're accountable to the one who gives these gifts. Think about it. 
but we also walk in the authority of the one who gives them. You know, we can easily lean on our own skills or whatever skills we think we have, from organizational skills to experience or our natural abilities, give a head nod to the Lord, but that's not how God is calling us to live or to walk in this mission that he has us on. We're called to be faithful stewards. It involves leaning on the Holy Spirit to walk this out. And you might say, man, Darren, what gifts has God given me? And I don't think that it's just one or two people in our midst that have gifts. It's pretty clear. All of us have gifts that he's given us, and oftentimes we discover those gifts as we're faithful to walk and and just start to walk and minister to others as we step out. So so many times over the years, I did not see uh, different gifts until I began to step out, just start to move forward into areas um, that I thought, man, Lord, I I don't know. I I think this is what you're calling me to do. All right, I'm going to step out. And just see his faithfulness meet me in that place. Verse 11, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. So Peter groups the gifts together under two headings, speaking and serving. Whoever speaks includes preaching, evangelism, prophesying, And we could go on, I'm sure, with some other speaking gifts. But whoever serves, you've got that other category, just such a broad category. Literally anything that benefits others or builds them up. The source of this service, though, and this is important to see, is the strength that God provides. Maybe you're a new Christian and you've wondered, what do I do next? I've embraced Jesus as king I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I've owned that. I've been baptized, and now I want to walk faithfully this call that he has on my life. What do I do next as a faithful follower of Jesus? This is it. This is the next. This is what everyone who claims to follow Jesus is actually called to give themselves to, to prayer, to love, to hospitality, and to service, walking in the gifts that he's given us for the benefit of others. And so Peter's encouragement is just, as I said before, it's bracketed by suffering. Suffering on each side, and you can read it on your own. But it's, it's bracketed by suffering, and I know that we at this time, I feel the weight and the darkness of COVID-19, and we're enduring this together. But something beautiful happens when we lean on God's grace to walk out the call and, and, and the gifts that he has for us in the midst of darkness, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of uncertainty. Something beautiful happens. Let me tell you what happens. God is glorified. And that's where Peter goes with this. He can't help but pause and worship the Lord so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus. Peter ends where he began. In all things, in all things, God may be praised through Jesus. This is the goal. I mean, that's the goal of all things. It's the end. This is the end of all things. The honor and the praise of God through Jesus, his son. And it's at hand. It's happening. We're in the final episode. Local church, St. Pete. We are walking in this long, last chapter of God's story of redemption. It's where God has us. This is where he's placed us. It's a long chapter. This chapter has been unfolding since the day of Peter. But we're in it. And we're not just watching it happen and, and, and watching it go by. We're active participants. We're called to be active participants. 
Pray. Love. Offer hospitality. Serve. That's the instruction Peter gave to a suffering church. That's the instruction that Peter gave after saying the end of all things is near. It's at hand. It's happening. It's unrolling before our eyes. As COVID-19, as this pandemic continues to, to happen, what are we going to do about it? How are we going to respond? Well, church, we should pray. And we should love. And we should offer hospitality. And we should serve in the strength that God provides. Discovering beautiful gifts that he's given. And watch what he does. I believe God is shaking out the church and helping us to see in the midst of this season how beautiful these simple, uh, but yet I think profound acts are of prayer, love, hospitality, and service towards others. That's the way to move forward, church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the instructions that we found in 1 Peter 4. Thank you for the clear guidance that you bring. Lord, you know it's been my prayer that we as a church would evaluate, that we'd just stop and pause and ask, man, where are we, where are we not walking in love? How can we grow in prayer? How can we be stretched in areas of hospitality? How, how would you continue to help us see gifts that you've given us and be good, be good stewards of those gifts? Well, we don't want to leave this time with this, just this uh, weightiness of feeling condemned, but we want to leave this time overjoyed at the thought of walking out these beautiful, uh, these beautiful um, things that you've laid out for us in Scripture. It, it's possible. We can do this. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be faithful in the midst of what is the final episode. We trust you, God. Amen. Amen.